Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. This morning, I am sitting here with Kayla Solomon. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning. And Dominique Simone Levine, the creator of the Allies in Recovery website. Hi, Dominique. Good morning, everyone. So, Dominique, why don't you get us started? You had a topic that you were hoping we could cover. In the work of craft, it's suggested that you do what's called by behaviorists a functional analysis. It's a fancy word for what Kayla likes to call what happens just before you use, what happens when you're using, what happens right after you're using. And so we ask families to answer a lot of questions having to do with those three little parts of time, those pieces of time and what you see in your loved one, what you observe, what you yourself think is going on. And why do we do that? We do that because we want you to act a certain way. If you come across your loved one and they are using, they are high, they are just about to use, right? So what happens right before they're just about to use, they're high, they're using, they're under the influence of something, or they're just withdrawing or detoxing off something, right? Those, that's the period in, in time where you want to step back, be more neutral, be less engaging, remove rewards, allow natural consequences if you can, allow them safely to happen and remove yourself, right? Sort of disengage yourself. And you do the reverse, essentially, if you evaluate or assess in the moment that your loved one isn't just about to use, using or not, or withdrawing from use. You're going to step in, you're going to be rewarding and, and generally engage familial love and attention towards your loved one. And that rewarding and contrast with non-rewarding and removing rewarding and your behavior turns into its own sort of overall motivator or disengager, if you would, right? And so now we have families that come in and they, they have loved ones that have different drugs for different periods of the week for different uh, events. So perhaps, perhaps your loved one smokes pot every day. Perhaps they also either buy or doctor shop a prescription for Adderall. And perhaps they use cocaine when they want to party. Right. And this was the case in it with a young woman in our training a couple months ago. This was the situation with her brother. And so what we suggest in that situation is you actually answer the questions about what happens right before, during and after for each drug. Right. Because they're not used at the same time. He maintains with pot during the week by smoking. That's just a constant, the sister said. Adderall makes him productive and able to be in the world, and he looks pretty functional, but the Adderall is what sets off a binge of cocaine. And so 
after we've assessed all three different patterns of drugs, we're going to suggest to her, which we did, it's like, which one, which one do you want to work on first? And that might be the surprise for families right now is we're not going to say you're going to try to address all this use all over the week, all at once. Craft, as Lori and Kayla have been saying and saying and saying, you want to deconstruct it. You want to take it apart. You want to slow it down. You want to understand one pattern and how that's different from another pattern. When he goes to binge on cocaine, what he's doing just before is going to look different. It's going to be a different time of the week. It's going to be a different attitude that he has that he's showing than when he smokes a joint during the week. And so you've got to understand sort of the differences in all three, and then pick your biggest foe, pick your most dangerous foe, pick the one drug that really is getting the most consequences or the most dangerous or the one in her case, after thinking about it, I thought maybe it could be the Adderall because the Adderall undergirds the cocaine. Adderall leads to cocaine. Adderall is the gateway for her brother to go from popping a pill to binging on for three days on cocaine. So I hear what you're saying with the Adderall. The only thing that I would worry about with the cocaine, I would say that cocaine is the is the most dangerous because of the amount of lacing with fentanyl that's happening. And there's something like a 75% increase in overdose deaths with stimulants and fentanyl. I'm sure the Adderall maybe drives the use of the cocaine, but I would be really focused on that cocaine. But I also want to parse out here that what you said, Dominique, is that one thing leads to another, which is where people get caught up. If you use the Adderall, then there's a very good chance that you're going to use cocaine. So I just want to point out that this is not an easy process to do because you're watching and you're basically a scientist at this point. I know for myself that one of the things that I'm looking at is very subtle cues with people. And if you are a loved one of somebody who's using, you're already doing this but you might not be doing this consciously. So you're basically going to go from, I watch this person like a hawk, as you do anyway, to starting to notice what causes what. It's like what drug has a particular way of manifesting in the person's behavior, in their face, in their physiology. So you're looking really carefully. And before you do anything, you really want to be an observer of this. That's what the functional analysis is, is really looking at this first, because like with everything that we do in craft, there's no leaping into things. There's no assumption immediately. You're going to actually teach yourself what you're looking for. And, you know, we're happy to help look for different symptoms of different things, but you're going to be watching for it so that then you can make the decision. Like Lori is saying, what's more dangerous? So if the cocaine is more dangerous, then you're going to be looking at that. That's part of the functional analysis is first, it's like how it manifests. And then the second part of it's the danger part of it. And on top of it, the cocaine is an illicit substance, whereas the Adderall may not be, especially if the person is doctor shopping and getting that Adderall from the doctor. And then the other benefit, why I would choose to go after the cocaine is The continued prescription Adderall may actually make it easier to reduce the cocaine over time and then worry about that prescription Adderall later on. 
So everybody's giving me very good ideas. And what we would say is to this family, to this mother, we would say, you're going to have to choose. We've given you some, some nice arguments back and forth, which one you might address first. We seem to all be agreeing we'd leave the pot for now. And I would say leave the pot because he's smoking the pot. He's not dabbing the pot. And so I keep making this dis distinction for our families because there's more and more evidence that this dabbing, this method of dabbing is just leading to a, a whole different THC experience. Say more about dabbing. Anecdotally and on our site, you will find some evidence that Dabbing allows for much higher dosing of THC through this. It's like a crystallized version, a derivative of THC that's been created like a crack is created from cocaine. This is a distillate of THC from cannabis that's been turned into this crystallized, smokable crack-like substance. And people that smoke this through these tiny pipes with these very high-end butane lighters tend to end up ingesting much higher levels of THC to the point where there's some anecdotal evidence and now a little bit starting to be written about psychotic breaks in people maybe who had been fragile or vulnerable to this in the first place and this high level THC kicks off a psychotic episode or some other thing but it's not well understood, but it is emerging. And I am trying to help families make that distinction because a lot of families are going, well, he smokes pot. And, and we're all saying, okay, we'll just leave it because it's pot right now. But I'm just wanting us to understand that this is going on. Okay. So now what we have is the family deciding which of the three drugs they want to address first. And we do that. Why? Because you would be turning yourself into a pretzel if you were trying to step in and step away with the pot, then with the ongoing Adderall, and then look now he's going to add cocaine over the weekend. And it would be so impossible for you to do as a lay person, just trying to get the basics of this, this behaviorism, which is stepping in and providing attention and validation and, and affection when somebody isn't using and taking that away when somebody is using. You wanna make your message as clean and clear as possible and you wanna be able to do it. And I don't think a family could manage three drugs, three different patterns over the seven day period over and over. I mean, you just, you can't do it. And my final point here, and I'll let you all take over some is, is that many of us who have recovered from addiction did it in bits. We maybe we took care of the most dangerous thing or the thing that was hardest to get first, we dropped it. And some people still smoke cigarettes after 30 years of being in recovery, right? So they don't drop it all, but we drop it in parts, maybe leaving that pot for last. We had a lot in the meetings I used to attend early on, it was called the marijuana maintenance plan. It was folks in AA who had continued to smoke pot for a very, very, very long time while sitting in their AA meeting chairs. So we enter recovery, we become recovered in pieces and in negotiation and in time and at different paces with different drugs. And so for that reason as well, when the family wants to use craft and address drug use in the family, we're going to ask you to start with a manageable piece that you can start to take apart and do what Kayla's saying is just this first part is observe, understand, see the signs. We have all the questions in the exercises on the modules and on the site. You go through the questions. And by the time you're done answering our questions, 
you have done everything we want you to do to understand what you're seeing. And in this case, let's say, let's say we do what Lori suggests, because that was my other suggestion with the mom too. At first, I thought cocaine and, and the fact that there's people stepping on it with bad things, adding potentially fentanyl to, to the drug supply. So if, we, if we're addressing cocaine, then we're addressing one time in this young man's week, maybe it's only every other week when he, he gets the urge so what I heard you just say, Dominique, which I keep repeating over and over and over again in the rest meetings that I hold is narrow it down, narrow it down, narrow it down. Find that one thing, that very specific thing that you're going to work on, narrow it down, because if you narrow it down, it becomes more manageable and it becomes more measurable. So we're only working on the cocaine. It's very directed. I'm going to come up with strategies to just address the cocaine. And I'm going to let everything else go for now, because I'm going to take these baby steps to try and reduce the use of cocaine. I'm going to be able to manage that. I don't have 50,000 things that I have to look out for or try and accomplish. It's just one, one thing that I'm trying to manage. It's more manageable for my loved one because they don't have to focus on, you know, not smoking pot or not using Adderall. Not It's just this one, one piece of it. And then because it's more manageable and it's so narrow when there is progress, I can see it. I can measure it. I can see it. Oh, there's a step in the positive direction. And then I can pull out my module five and I can start reinforcing positively, start to reward and really get some kind of positive progress. So that's what I heard. And this is what I promote in the rest meetings. I'm like, narrow it down, narrow it down, narrow it, get it small, get it easy, nice little baby steps. I just want to make sure our audience heard it right. When you said focus on, on the one drug, our loved one, the person with addiction, we're not asking them whether or not they're interested in this idea of ours. This is our strategy. And we're going to focus our efforts, our craft, stepping in and stepping away on the cocaine. We're going to not do react to the pot. We're not going to react to the Adderall. And that's what makes them believe that it's all normal and okay for now. And for now, it's going to be until we can get a better handle on the cocaine. It's my behavior, right? That I'm changing, not, not my loved ones. Yeah, go ahead, Kayla. There's a couple things because you used the word recovered, which I have a hard time with because I feel like that means that you're at the end of the line. I always use the word recovery because to me, it is in a lifelong process that you're never there. And I feel like that's a really important point here because our process is parallel to the process of our loved ones. And so like when Lori's saying specific and measurable, the goals that we talk about in the work I do is and time limited. So it's specific, measurable and time limited, because if you have goals that are specific, measurable and time limited, like for the next two weeks, I'm going to do this and see how it goes. So what happens is anybody could do anything for a limited amount of time. And if what you're doing is also specific and measurable, then you know if you're making progress. It's kind of like having a laser beam on a particular thing as opposed to being all over the place because there's too much. 
when you're dealing with people who are using substances, they're a mess. Okay. In one way or another, they're late. They don't take care of their bills. They're messy. They're not being responsible. Their communication is bad. You know, there's a million different negative behaviors that they're engaging in. And so what happens is that if you look at that whole big thing, you're just going to get overwhelmed and become hopeless and you want to give up as do they, by the way, just know that we're doing parallel process here. So what we're going to do is model this other behavior, which is that we're going to focus on one particular substance, the most dangerous one, or wherever one we assess to be the most important. And we're going to do our negative and positive reward process. And we're going to check in with ourselves and notice subtle changes and not just do it and then let it all go. Just watch it. Like if you act in a particular way, what's the response? If you're moving in, what happens? If you're moving out, what happens? If you're pausing, what happens? What are you noticing about the other person? But especially notice yourself, because I cannot say this enough. The biggest issue that folks in our groups and and on our program struggle with is that when they get overwhelmed, they are not their most effective when they're agitated or reactive, it's the least effective stance to be in. So if you if you narrow it down, it's harder to get overwhelmed because you're just watching. You're slowing things down again, which, you know, is our power tool. You know, it's interesting that you that you say that because we also we go over like a problem solving strategy. The first part of the problem solving strategy is to narrow it down, something very, very specific. And then we don't call it time limited, but we do give a goal of when we're going to accomplish, you know, when are we going to put that in? Well, by the next week, we're going to do this, this and this. Right. So I guess we are doing the time limited. But then the other thing that we do as the kind of like the conclusion to implementing this particular thing that we're doing over the week, I leave them with two questions. You have to sit down and you have to write about it or ask yourself these two questions, which are what went well? I want people to write down or take note of what went well when you started this strategy and ended the strategy, but then what needs tweaking? What do you need to adjust? Because as Kayla says, it's a process. It will happen again you will have the opportunity to implement this skill in a better way. And so now you can work on, okay, this is what didn't go so great. What, how can I improve on it next time? And then wait, implement it and do it again. Ask yourself what went well, what needs tweaking, because you will again have the opportunity to do it. So totally agree. We're just I guess, using different language to help people to understand it. So let's take that example. So we know that traditionally, and this will, this will be sort of an archetypical kind of example, it's a Friday night thing for the, the young man and he wants to party, he wants to, to blow it out. And if he's likely to use cocaine, it's likely to start on a Friday night. The family's answered all these questions. They realize this is the vulnerable area. Sure enough, he didn't call. He didn't come home. Nobody's seen him Friday night, Saturday, 
Saturday afternoon, still no, no word from him. So now typically the family is like calling each other and it's urgent and they don't know what to say, or, you know, maybe they should start looking for him. I mean, th there's this old tape and old way that everybody starts to run around and do what they normally do on a Saturday afternoon when, when this young man has been missing, but they have somewhat of a better handle on themselves because they know what's going on. He's using cocaine and they know that Kraft would say there isn't much you can do at this point. You want to disengage yourself neutrally. You don't want to go in with rewards. You want to allow those natural consequences. And so the family may need to just sit it out without doing very much until he calls and he's home and he's it's Sunday afternoon and he feels like Drek and he's calling to check in. And normally at this point, the family goes, oh, we missed you. And I'm so glad you're okay. And you must be feeling awful. Can we bring you some food? I mean, totally. He's surrounded by these loving sisters that have supported him for years through this, right? So they all talk and, and they figure it out and they go take care of their, their younger brother. We were able to say, well, you know, if you look at what it takes to detox from a cocaine binge of two and a half days, He's going to need a day or two where he's going to feel really awful, really, really, really awful. And maybe stepping in on a Sunday afternoon before he really starts feeling awful is not the best move, right? That is actually rewarding the fact that he's been using and now they're going to take care and lift the bottom of his withdrawal and his dark mood and, you know, bring him food. And, and so now that we're asking the family to continue to step away because they've recognized that to come down off a binge of cocaine, it'll take a day or two before you start feeling anywhere normal again. So for a day or two, can you leave him alone? Can you let him sit in his bad state? It's not dangerous. Can you make sure he has enough water and, you know, the basics so that he's not in danger, but can you just let him feel his way through his own withdrawal? Let him feel that. Let him hurt from it. Let him realize the family is not gathering around him. That's a, a very different run through this young man's binging experience that he's had in the past. And that's a much more craft response to, to him doing so. And it's not perfect. And maybe not everybody can follow it. And somebody brought muffins in the end. And, you know, and they started saying, you know, but whatever it was, it, it didn't work perfectly, but that's the general idea. And as Lori says, you're going to have opportunity after opportunity to do this. So you do what you can, you see how well it works and you pick up and, and get ready to start again. But it doesn't take long for somebody to recognize that, uh-oh, people are not responding. I'm not the young loved brother who gets away with anything in these moments anymore. Something is disconnecting. It's like, if you think about it, it's like I could like work a whole week and take the weekend and try to relax and nobody's bringing me food and muffins. It's like, Talk about being rewarded for the wrong things. It's like this loving, nurturing, oh, let's surround him because he's hurting. It's like, no, 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 no. And what we're saying is it, we want the person to experience the hurt. That's what we want. Don't want to protect them from that sensation, the feeling and the discomfort, because that's part of us stepping in where we shouldn't. You know, just coming from the family perspective, I know exactly I can really feel the feelings of the family of the sisters. 
And I can just see by Saturday night, they haven't had contact and they're freaking out, right? They're absolutely freaking out. And I don't say this in a negative way. I personally think it's a normal response, that it's a, a human response to have these panics, you know, these panicked moments and and the worry and the anxiety, because let's be real here, we're petrified that they're going to pass, that they're going to die on us or something absolutely horrendous is going to happen. So I can certainly see how by Saturday evening, this family is just the sisters are calling each other. Have you heard from him? No, I haven't heard from him. But uh, what do you think we should do? Should we call the hospital? Should we call the police? Right. And everybody is kind of just freaking out together, feeding off of each other, getting more and more anxious and, and just anxiety ridden. So that by the time Sunday comes around and he, you know, they've text messaged him 50 million times and the brother sends back a text message, what? I'm fine. But what happens with the family member and the, the sisters is, oh, oh, he's alive. And it's so overwhelming that you can almost drop to your knees and cry with relief that I don't have to feel this way anymore. And I also have a feeling that the bringing of the muffins and the water and all of that is soothing to the sisters. And that's what's going on a lot of the time is it's soothing to me. This is why, and I've said this in the past, this is why craft, we're asking actually the family members to sit within their own and I don't want to say discomfort because it isn't discomfort. It's pain, right? It's pain. It is distress. And it's Sunday. It's a matter of you sitting with your distress and maybe finding ways to go out. I have this urge to go over and bring my, my brother a pot of chicken soup so that he doesn't suffer through the right. And I get to see him. So I know he's okay. We're asking that, Kraft is asking that you're going to go ahead instead on Sunday, maybe take yourself out to lunch. Go meet up with an old friend and refuse to talk about your brother and find some way of distracting yourself and learning how to sit with your own distress before you're, you're going to go and, and spend time with your brother. Let him, let him figure it out. He is an adult. And they are more capable than we give them credit for. In fact, I have a feeling they are a lot more capable than we give them credit for and work on your distress and sitting through your distress. I just want to point out that this is exactly what craft is about. What you just did was you, you explained why this is so important because it is a parallel process because the loved one doesn't know how to sit in their distress. That's why they use and we talked about this in the group this week, when you are bringing muffins and being nurturing and checking in and making sure they're okay, when you know that they're using, this is your dysfunctional behavior that parallels theirs. It's harder to sit with the discomfort or the pain than to do the old habit. And what we're asking you to do is to create new habits, new ways, new interventions for your, yourself and your, your loved ones are not saying this is simple or easy, but it actually helps. 
And if what you did were doing was helpful, it would have worked a long time ago. Okay. And so you need to give your credit for trying those things. But if they're not working, we're asking you to do something else because it has a much better possibility of being effective. And it's anything you can do. It doesn't have to be, you know, the full out. I'm not going to talk to him or feed him or do anything for two days. If you can't do that, you can't do that. But maybe you can limit it to one pot of soup over two days as opposed to three meals and checking, you know, whatever. Just see if you can limit your reaction, limit your reaction, limit your reaction. And the flip side of this, which is what Kayla was saying, nobody brings me muffins and water and I'm not using cocaine. It's like when he's not using cocaine on that weekend, bring the muffins on. And actually you do want to make it more special. You do want to step in and kind of go, wow, it's good to see you. And, you know, it's great to spend a Saturday with you. What can we do? Let's go to the secondhand stores for a while. I know you love to shop, you know, whatever it is. Right. You're going to you're going to start to create a little energy on the flip side of that. And yes, you know, we are asking you to turn your internal world into this provider of the immediate environment that is not an enabling environment, that is not uh, an environment that is a normalizing addiction in the family. We're trying to get you to to create the, the environment that's most conducive to getting your loved one to want and move towards a recovery process. So that's the point here. You don't have to do this forever, but you do have to do this to take care of some of the big strokes and big issues that are going on when you typically join us for the first time with this work of craft. And I also wanna say, you make a great point. And I think we, we need to stress that point because it doesn't get stressed enough. We are talking about sitting through the, you know, the allies distress. We're asking you to do that. And it's very distressful. It's really uncomfortable. But on the flip side of it, really, really starting to focus on the positive, finding those moments and intervening with rewarding. So let's say on a Friday night, typically your, your loved one, like this person does, takes off. What about saying, hey, you know, I'd like to take you out to dinner. I'm going to pick you up at work and let's go out to dinner at a time when they haven't used, they haven't used cocaine and you spend a little bit of time. It doesn't mean that they're not going to go out afterwards and use cocaine, but you have half an hour, 45 minutes more that they're not using cocaine. You're connecting with them and you get to focus on something positive to kind of counterbalance the negative. But we have kind of come to our, the end of our conversation. Kayla, could you just quickly give us a quick summary and we'll say our goodbyes. The quick summary is that look at the functional analysis and really throw yourself into it fully and passionately so that you really get a sense of what we're talking about here. Those are modules, what numbers? Three. Three. Well, three, and then the response is modules five and six, the behavioral response that we're looking for. Go on the site and really, really play with those so that you know what we're talking about and this is not mystery language to you. And then what you really want to do is start looking at what your plans are to change things slowly in a way that you can handle. And just remember that you start small and then you're going to be shifting over time. So this is just the beginning, but you want to start looking at your behavior, your responses, and how you're going to change it. And those those three modules will give you a very good blueprint about how to move forward. And one substance at a time. One substance at a time. Exactly. Don't don't tackle everything at once. 
great ladies, great conversation. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.